This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 161 of The Morning After. I'm Jesse Kiefer. My co-host, Sari Kamen, is, I think, flying over the Atlantic Ocean from Germany to New York today. And she'll be with us for the show next week. We love you, Sari. We can't wait to have you back. On today's show, Anthony Rudolph, founder of Journey, a community for restaurant professionals to gain knowledge and resources to further their careers. We'll find out more about that when we talk to Anthony a little bit later in the show. At the end of the show, we'll have the morning after quiz. We'll put Anthony to the test and see how he does. I think he's a little bit nervous, and that makes me very happy. People get scared of the quiz. But first, we'll have Anthony weigh in on this week's bizarre food news. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Have you been reading um, the food blogs and all that for this week? Not a bit. I'm excited. (laughs) Okay, good. I hope I surprise you with some of these, because I was very surprised by by some of the the news stories that i found out today all right so have you used craigslist before i have okay well me too i'm sure everybody has almost everyone's probably used craigslist to find an apartment sell some furniture but have you ever checked the personal ads for random encounters yes and and or um ads for those specific fantasies (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I haven't either, and I'm actually going to start doing it because this is, seems really entertaining. Um, so apparently a San Francisco Bay Area man with a serious Guy Fieri fetish. Mm. Yeah. He posted an ad looking for the perfect woman to take down to Flavortown. The ad reads, I have a fantasy where I'm Guy Fieri going to a diner on his TV show. I order spicy Texas melt with a side of potato wedges. You pull up your skirt and say, I've got a creamy place you can wedge something into. <laughs> <laughs> It finishes by saying that I've spent $12,000 decorating my apartment like a diner so I can host. The ad was removed. But, I mean, is this fake? You think this is a real thing? You never know with people. I mean, why, you know, who's who's to say? Let him, let him, let him go on with what he wants to do. Uh, the only reason I think it's a fake thing is that it, like, said his he was, like, a male, 37, looking for a woman, height 4'10". Hey, he's got a Guy Fieri fetish. Like, height fetish could be something, too. Oh, my God. I just, like, I'm imagining that he's going to have, like, the frosted tips, and he's going to have the sunglasses. Yellow Camaro. On the back of his head. He's not going to find a woman to do this, right? You never know. You know, <laughs> teach their own. I'm just surprised that Craigslist actually took it down. Well, maybe it got fulfilled. Maybe maybe Very he true. found maybe he found his donkey sauce lady. <laughs> anyway. I'm going to look out for more of these because that was hilarious. All right. So uh, did you hear that McDonald's released a new item on their dollar menu this week? No, what is it? It was mozzarella sticks. I saw that. So, yeah, apparently people were very excited for the new Mickey D's mozzarella sticks with marinara sauce. Hordes of cheese crazed folks flooded the fast food joint only to be shocked to find the mozzarella sticks completely hollow inside, just like their souls. Yes, it seems that McDonald's forgot to put the cheese in these sticks. So, of course, the world took to social media to unleash their rage with countless photos of golden brown tubes of nothingness. One person wrote, where's the cheese? Another complains, I came in with very low expectations of McDonald's mozzarella sticks, and yet somehow I'm still disappointed. 
McDonald's was quick to respond to the PR nightmare, claiming the cheese must have oozed out during the baking process. The ba- yeah, the baking process. Baking process. And I saw it also because I walked by one on the way to work. And it says, real cheese. They're using real cheese. As opposed to what? Exactly. Well, apparently not. Apparently nothing. <laughs> apparently nothing. Yeah. So there's literally like all these photos of, you know, the little like carton of, of mozzarella sticks that have just been split in half and they're just like hollow tubes. Like you can put them on your fingers. And... So my sister would have been so <laughs> disappointed in this because she orders mozzarella sticks to pick off the breading and then just eat the melted cheese. Oh, she would have probably like. She would have been. Like, she would have sued or Thrown something. a brick through the window exactly. or something yeah, like she that. Would have freaked out. Well, the, uh, the the saddest thing was that almost all of these, I don't know, you can tell me if this is sad or not. I'm judging. But all of the photos were like of someone's like cubicle, <laughs> like their computer, and then <laughs> the box of mozzarella sticks. And they're like, this is bullshit. I'm like, oh, man, that's what you went to have for you on your lunch break? Two for two menu. Um, How do you beat it? But it's three mozzarella sticks. Like, that is not lunch. Without cheese, so it's Without really just kind cheese. of sticks. It's just like breadsticks. Breadsticks. Oh God! All right. I mean, I, I've. I'm sure you have gone to McDonald's since you were a young child. Yes. Just like me, like French fries are good. Why do they have to? Why do they have to try new things? Like, why would anybody get something different at McDonald's? I don't know. I think that's why they're. They've had a tough couple of years. Well, yeah. They're having a tougher one now. <laughs> the mozzarella sticks. Well, hopefully they'll get their shit together and fix that. Um, they still have breakfast all day, too. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing we can rely on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, well, as you can, as you know, you've heard from that story. It's been a really great week for American fast food chains. So I've got another one. And I took this headline from First We Feast because it was so good. Woman has awful experience at local KFC. As in, like, fantastic. As in, like, body parts that you don't usually eat. Well, something like that. A woman in Northampton, England, found something surprising in her chicken wings at a local KFC. 22 year old Cassandra Perkins was enjoying her wings, fries, gravy, and fountain drink when she says she noticed a pink thing that may have been brain in her meal. It looked disgusting and pink, she said. I didn't want to touch it. I first thought that it may have been brain or lung. It certainly wasn't chicken. My burger had a hair in it as well. KFC has apologized, saying the pink thing Miss Perkins found was, in fact, the chicken's giblets, i.e. heart, liver, kidneys, gizzard, and should have been removed. How did she get a burger? How did she get a burger with a hair in it? KFC in the UK has burgers. I have Chicken no burgers? idea. Like I have not been to KFC. That's more shocking so long. to me than than the brain. <laughs> well, I don't, I'm like, don't people in England like really eat offal like a lot? Why would she be shocked? And by the way, chicken brain, give me a break. Like that wouldn't you wouldn't even see that. It would be just be like a fried piece of nothing. Well, like three four years ago, there was the chicken head that was floating around in one of the feeds of something. Okay, with yeah, a yeah. woman found an actual whole fried chicken head. All right, I mean, that's, at least you know there's chicken. Right. You know, you know, real chicken. Exactly, real chicken. You're right. The burger thing is shocking. Um, maybe it was a chicken burger. I, I have no idea. She, wings, and then she also found a hair in her burger. I have no idea. Like, how did she have? Sounds made up. That sounds like so much food. I also, she's trying to take down KFC. Go for it, lady. Just don't get rid of my coleslaw. I love that coleslaw. It's so good. Well, I mean, I, I honestly, you know, I really looked at the photos, and it, it just looked like some dark meat that had been cooked. It wasn't raw or anything probably tasted pretty good breaded you know but whatever 
we can't fix her and she's not going to eat any giblets. She's never going back to KFC. It's all right. I mean, I probably Customer won't Customer lost. Customer lost. All right. Well, we're going to take a break here on the morning after. We're going to come back with Anthony Rudolph of Journey. Super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. And we're back here on the morning after, taking his skills from almost 20 years in the restaurant industry, working for chefs like Jean-Georges and Tom, Thomas Keller, Anthony Rudolph has founded Journey. It's a community for restaurant professionals to share and gain knowledge and resources. In the cutthroat restaurant world, it's nice to know people like Anthony are out there. Welcome to the morning after, Anthony. Very kind. Thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's been in the restaurant industry for about 15 years, um, I've never given back to my community. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice to know someone who that, has that can't be true that, okay maybe I have I mean I've definitely gotten them drunk and, and fed giving so back. that's giving back um, but I, so what got you started in the in the hospitality industry so we'll start from the beginning there um, it was really a f- uh, failure on my part to uh, um, participate in the school system and my counselor in ninth grade essentially just gave up and was like look school's not for you Pick a trade, pick <laughs> carpentry, pick auto mechanic, pick cooking. You'll always have a job. Forget about college. And thankfully, there was tech school. And so it got me out of a half day of school. I could take a bus and go to a different school and pick a trade. And I picked cooking. Um, and I had a teacher there that just really lit a fire under me and made it my career. I went to the Culinary Institute of America. Um, and then I was cooking professionally as a cook, you know, from 15 to 19 during high school. Um, and then when I went to the CIA, I had my first class in the dining room and just fell in love with like the vulnerability of like being on stage and having to really be on the brink of um, embarrassment at any moment publicly. You know, that was like really compelling. Yeah, and thrilling you constantly for me. feel like you're going to fuck up. <laughs> exactly. And then they're going to, you know, everybody's going to laugh. You're going to drop a plate. You're going to be that guy that like smashes something. And then everybody, the whole dining room stops and. That was just really compelling. I'm an introvert. Are you a so. masochist? <laughs> no, I'm an introvert. So I like, I like to tackle my demons really in publicly or like really big forums. Um, and so that allowed me to do that. And I fell in love with it. And then I shifted my career and I you know, worked for Hilton for a year. And then Jean-Georges, I started as a waiter um, and spent four years with him and worked my way up through service director. And then in 2006, went over to Chef Keller in Per Se and spent seven years with TKRG. So when it came to to starting Journey, what was the decision to kind of step away from um, from working directly in restaurants? So I've always had a problem with authority. So I always know which I is knew, why school didn't work which out. Is why school didn't work, and which out. is w- maybe why back of house wasn't the right thing. Yeah, I don't mind the yes. I don't. I don't, you don't mind, mind the that? yes. Like chef. militaristic kind of. I don't mind it as long as it's somebody that I can respect. 
and I believe one has my best interest or a best interest and has something that I can believe in as well and they know more and certainly I found that with Jean-Georges and, and, and Thomas um, and the people that I worked for there uh, but I always knew like in order for me to be happy for the rest of my life I needed to own my own business and I think the big turning point was realizing that what I got excited to go to work to every day was to really like mentor and train and help my staff live their dreams and ultimately become who they wanted to become and that the guest became less and less um, compelling of a reason for me to go into work every day and so I obviously could have left and opened my own restaurant which would have been a vehicle to do that but serving consumers and the guests just wasn't seemed like extra right mm-hmm. and so I just set on designing a way that I could fulfill what I love and what I want to do without having to open up a restaurant and thus serve guests and, and dive into that whole ecosystem. So I just figured, well, what if I made these, the restaurant community and my guests and mm-hmm. help them achieve their dreams and, and live their lives? Um, and so then the idea of Journey you know, really came about and was born. All right. So what is Journey? So Journey, we have a 3,000-square-foot loft in, in the Flatiron District on 21st and 5th. And it's really just a physical place for restaurant people to first connect. <clears throat> you know, when I became the GM of Per Se, um, there was n- none of my direct reports or none of my bosses were here. They were all in Napa. And so I didn't really have a peer set, you know, that idea of, like, it's lonely at the top. Like, mm-hmm. everybody below you, you still have that dynamic of you're the boss as much as I try and get rid of that. Um, and so I needed community, and the first person I reached out to was my arch nemesis, which was Will Gadara at 11 Madison Park, because we just competed on every level. And then, you know, the blogosphere and e-gullet and all of that at the time mm-hmm. forced us against each other in so many different directions. Um, and I reached out and said, hey, can we get a coffee and just become better friends? And we obviously grew that into now we operate a business together called the Welcome Conference. Um, and that was the first of like, hey, wait a second, we can actually do more as collaborators than we can as competitors and we can learn and grow more together and that grew to bringing in other restaurants to 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 connect and so that's really the the basis of it and so what we do is we leverage the community and the people like the the philosophy of those who can teach Mm -hmm. so we find people that are currently practicing and excelling and doing great at what they do to come in and share an hour an hour and a half um to teach their peers or the next generation of professionals what to do. And that goes anywhere from accounting, human resources, legal, wine education. Uh, the only thing we won't teach is how to cook and how to serve because you're going to be doing that, you know, 60 plus hours a week mm-hmm. in your job. We're here to offset all of the ancillary things you're going to need in order to grow in the career. So leadership and management, if you're going to become a first-time manager, if you're going to open your first-time restaurant, how to write a business plan. And these skills just aren't out there mm-hmm. um, to get at one, an easy access that's built around your schedule, and two, an affordability for someone who makes you know, anywhere from 12 to $16 an hour. So for, for someone like you who, who did go to culinary school and people go to school for you know, restaurant, hotel management, and all of that, um, you know, do you feel like those kinds of institutions teach you how to be a restaurant professional and a manager? And, and I guess how is Journey different than that? Yeah, so I think they take you... Um, let me address how we're different. So they take you from zero to one, right? You, you don't know anything and you get a, anywhere from a nine week to a three year boot camp of here's, here's what you need to get started, like a starter's kit. We're not that. We're not going to take you from 
hey, I don't know anything, but I really love the food space and I want to get into it, we say, sorry, you know, there's these other resources out there for mm-hmm. you. We're for the people who have one and then want to go through their entire life, the next 20 years of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're very different in that regard. I do think they're valuable because if you think about the life skills that you can gain, the network that you can, um, that's afforded to you by being in a focused place of a peer set, you know, you would have to work out in the industry for 10 years at 10 different places to get a modicum of what you get access to in a school. Um, I think where they've, where the, there's a bit of mis, misunderstanding with those schools is that they set you up to like launch into be a manager mm-hmm. or to have a higher job or a start at a different place, which this is a craft ultimately, whether you're in the dining room or in the kitchen. And that's just this time and experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they give you is a really good base and access to some focus to where you may want to go, but they definitely don't make you a master of anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine getting out of school and going directly into restaurant management without having worked in a restaurant or yeah. like, you know, watched a manager running a restaurant or something. And like I that. did. And it was, it was probably the worst decision I made. Um, you know, I was 21 years old. I was working at a Hilton hotel in Philadelphia and I had a staff of 60 and it was a hotel that was one of the largest deunionized hotels in the city. And so my staff ranged from like an 18-year-old to a 67-year-old. And I learned the hard way that I had livelihoods and people's families and trust and care in my hands. And I was 21 and I didn't know shit. Yeah. And, and immediately I was miserable for 10 months. And I said, you know what? This is not for me. And I came up to New York and took a job as a waiter, a front waiter at, at John George to where I could actually learn um, the accountability is really scary, and if you're not prepared for it, you can really, you really talk like, about people's what lives. What twenty-one-year-old is ready for any sort of accountability? Exactly right, except for drinking. Exactly, yeah, questionably. Uh, totally. So then, um, so then, a journey. You're not necessarily trying to build restaurant managers, but you're kind of you're inviting people in to potentially further their careers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really about creating better thinkers by getting access to different perspectives. Um, if you just look at the current path of learning once you're out of school and actually working is you learn from one person. And if you want to learn a different perspective, you need to quit your job and go work for somebody else, which is an incredibly painful barrier to learn more. Um, it's costly. You know, you obviously lose any tenure you've had there or any benefits that may come along with it. But it's also just you may love where you work, but you need to learn different things. And so if, even at my career, like I learned majority from John George and I learned a majority from Thomas Keller, which are two incredible people to learn from. Mm-hmm. But I never really had access to Danny Meyer and how he runs his organization or, you know, Colicchio or April Bloomfield. Like I didn't have access to how they think and learn. Um, and so it's really about opening up perspectives and sharing those to empower people to be better thinkers for themselves and take control more of their career. So... What sort of classes are you doing right now at Journey? Um, so we've had in the last in the last couple months, um, we've focused heavily on leadership and management. I mean, is that okay that I call it a class? Yeah. So we have well, we have a range of events, right? So if you look across the spectrum of community, you have some that are just fun, mm-hmm. like flat out events, fun, networking, booze, drinking, eating, connecting, and then you have far out like here is a class with homework. So we run that gamut of fun events and community building all the way to here's a class on how to read a profit and loss statement. And by the way, you're going to get homework for part two and you have to kind of tinker with and play with the revenue and expense side to see how things shake out. 
I mean, that sounds really great because I, you know, as someone who has worked as a GM and was really very thrown into it and then to be sitting with owners and talking about PNL and having them explain it to me in probably, you know, a 20 minute meeting because they don't have the time to sit down and teach me that. I mean, I right. feel like that seems very valuable. Yeah. Because that happens. Yeah, I think that so. really I mean, happens. I mean, I'm sure like with Thomas Keller, you were not with him constantly. Like you were also still learning. No, I mean, own. I was, uh, I, I hadn't read a PNL prior mm-hmm. to, but I was a, a good maitre d' and I could lead the team. Um, and the opportunity afforded itself. Of course, I wasn't going to say no to it. Uh, but I would work as a, as the GM in the service side from, you know, 9, 10 a.m. till midnight, 1 a.m. And then from 1 a.m., I would take last month's P&L and stay up till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and, like, scratch through and come up with all these questions, like, why does this flow, flow through this? And then I'd go sit We ha- go sit with the controller the next day and get, like, a mini master class mm-hmm. on it. Okay, we had a controller. Yeah. Not a lot of restaurants have controllers or actually have the finance person. A lot of that stuff gets offset to, you know, an accounting firm. And even the GMs or the owners aren't necessarily know what they're doing or dealing with it because they haven't been taught and they're Mm -hmm. banking on somebody else doing it. And so even just I was fortunate enough to have a controller that had the hours in their day or made the hours in their day to teach me. Yeah. I mean, because not all restaurant owners are, I mean, most restaurant owners are chefs or former front of house people. They're not business people. Right. And we've also seen, you know, in the last decade, like the growth of the restaurant groups, Mm -hmm. which then even offload the work from the chef and the general manager even more, where you have a full human resource team, you have a full accounting team, you have a marketing team. And so the chef becomes um, less involved with managing cash flow or running the actual business and really focused on cooking, which I think is given a great growth to the quality of food in the city. And then the same in the dining room, the general manager for a long time and still even so can be more like a service director than they actually are a general manager because they have this umbrella taking care of them. And, you know, what I, what I understood as something coming down the pipeline was, you know, as these chefs and GMs go out to start their own businesses, investors are looking at them saying, Hey, these these guys ran operations for for these ple- people. Let's give them money so they can do their next thing. But they were never actually taught how to do the next thing, and so they weren't set up for success to actually go do that. Um, and I think I think we're going to see some repercussions of that, and continue to see them over the next you know five to ten years. Um, so speaking of restaurant groups, I mean, they as, as someone who's worked in a, a company where there was an expansion. And that expansion didn't succeed. Are you guys having any classes or any, you know, any events kind of around how to actually succeed at, at business and how to um, to kind of keep those restaurants going? Yeah, we certainly will. We have one coming up just on that topic um, with Bill Bronbrest, who's the chief operating officer of Tal. Oh, wow. Okay. So if you think about expansion and people and dollars and size, there aren't many bigger than Tao and um, he is just uh, remarkable in terms of the way that his mind works in terms of running operations and, and seeing through things. Um, so he'll be teaching a class or having a discussion, and that'll be more of like a roundtable of uh, almost like a meet the masters type of you'll be able to sit and talk questions, and he'll have a structure to it. Um, so we'll address that, um, and we'll do a lot of those things like how to write a business plan, how to scale. On Monday night uh, in the collab, we have Dan Holzman from the Meatball Shop. Um, who also just had a piece in Inc. Exactly. around just that, right? Mm-hmm. They got to four restaurants and they said, oh shit, all four aren't doing great now because we got to four restaurants so quickly. Let's stop and regroup. And so we'll be talking about that Monday night. 
uh, Dan and I will do a one-on-one interview in front of you know a live group. So you are you the kind of um, the moderator for for all these classes, or are you the classes? The educators do their thing. Do their thing. Okay. Like we don't we 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 work with them and curate like what like who we think are and do a bit of vetting and then allow them to come in and share what they're really passionate about. But I don't co-teach. Um, this thing with Dan Holzman will be more networking mentorship side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, we call it uh, inside the collab. I mean, mm-hmm. just completely stole that from inside the actor studio with James Lipton. So in this, I play James Lipton Amazing. without the beard and I'm probably not as eccentric as he is. <laughs> and then Dan Holzman would be the actor of sorts. Sure. And so we'll go through, um, you know, just different dialogue around career and mentorship and how he got to where he is and growth points. Uh, I've had Christina Tosi do that. I've had Alan Richmond from GQ. Um, I did one with an investor, Joanne Wilson. Um, and it's just more about learning who they are and how they got and getting a bit more personal into, I try and lean to their struggles and like what I, what actually makes them relatable to us rather than them being so huge. Do you, um, as far as like membership goes, are you seeing people kind of at like, um, a moderate level of experience being uh, the main member? Or are you looking at people or are people who are very advanced in their careers actually coming in and, and, and so still learning? We priced and built around the early employee, the 12 to $16 an hour employee. Um, membership is $365 a year. Um, you can do a payment plan and pay it monthly. Um, and that includes unlimited access to education. You can use the space to, you know, as a coffee shop and grab a coffee and power through some work on a laptop um, but that includes wine education. Every single class and event that we do is included in that price. Um, so we really want to be able to reward the people who are high achievers and want to grow in their career by not having them pay more every single time they engage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're seeing more of that now this year. Our first, we've been open for six months. So our first three to four months, our average age was 35. Okay. Mostly in the management. Okay. Um, but a lot of it has to do with my direct peer network. Sure. And that would be like people who are probably GMs of restaurants. GMs, sommeliers, not necessarily owners, sous chefs and owners and owners. Okay. And owners. Um, and now we're really starting to get into the hourly employee. Okay. Um, and a part of that is one, my resources, but then also getting to hourly employees is just really challenging because they don't have a ton of time. Yeah. You know, you'd have to go to every different dive bar around the city (laughs) and sit and talk to them. Right. Like that's sure. Yeah. The resources are, are tough. So we're now figuring out ways to get to them. Um, and so they can hear about us. And we're also new and I don't do any marketing or anything. It's just all organic kind of word of mouth from our members. Mm-hmm. Well, because I think that, you know, the, the kind of classes and the kind of talks that that you're having would be valuable for someone who even maybe does own several restaurants and could get yeah. an idea as to how to maybe do things a little bit better. I mean, we did a we did a class on management 101 which I actually taught um, along with Kate Edwards, who was a former maitre d' of per se. Um, and it was Management 101, and we languaged it like, this is for someone who is not yet a manager or going to be a manager. And we had all restaurant owners in the room, and we had a restaurant owner come down from Boston. And I said, like, Why, like what are you doing here? Like, this is a class. This is 101. And he said, I never had a 101 class. He's like, there's got to be something in here I can learn. Yeah. I uh, mean, and if anything, to, like, to, to give to their employees as well. Right. Yeah. That's fantastic. So I, I, I know you were at Per Se for, for a while, and I want to talk to you about yeah, the, the recent review, um, which is sad, and it was, you know, it's one person's opinion, and I think a lot of people have been on both sides of it. People have been like, oh, you know, 
I love per se. It's always great. It's this experience. And some people are like, it's overpriced, blah, blah, blah. I guess I just want to know, what do you think? What do you think happened? What do you think? um, Because when you were there, it was four stars. And to see that loss, I'm sure, is actually a personal hit to you in a way. Look, to say that I don't have an emotional connection to that restaurant would just be just a lie. I mean, I have blood, sweat, and tears. And, um, you know, but I don't have anything to add to the conversation. I think what you said is that it's one person's opinion, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you really step back and look at it, you know, their role is to be an advocate for the consumer and give a perspective that somebody can make a decision off of. Um, and so that's his, that, that was his perspective. And so really, you know, if you step back and say, Hey, if this were a letter that were written to the restaurant about a person's experience, not on a Wednesday, New York times article, um, the only difference there is really the medium in which it was distributed. And so to add whether or not it's right or wrong, or is he validated? Is he attacking? Like all of that stuff. It's, it's, it's a guest who happens to be a critic. And a restaurant. And so it's really for the restaurant to respond, and Thomas did this week. Um, but everybody adding in to me, like, I don't have anything to add to. It, it's like if, if, if we sat down, we could both sit down and have the same experience, mm-hmm. and you hate it and I love it. And what does that mean? Does that mean sure. one of us is right and one of us is wrong? I think that's all irrelevant. Sure. Um, Subjective. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's his job to do that. Um, I do think... You know, in the 11 years uh, going on 12 next month that they'll been open, I think this is one of the most exciting times to work there, right? Because Thomas isn't lazy. Mm-hmm. Eli's not lazy. Antonio, like nothing about that restaurant. It's a remarkable place to be on the inside of and, and understand. And for people who are already determined and driven to provide excellence, to now be pushed to think even deeper and harder... I think I think what's going to come out of it is going to be remarkable, and um, I would I would love to be a part of that on the inside because I think the growth there is going to be phenomenal. I mean, do you? I I believe you that none of those people are lazy, but do you feel like they're you know they were kind of resting on you know the the standards of per se and not kind of pushing the envelope? And I, I mean, there's a lot of different kind of. There's a lot of different fine dining aspects of, of restaurants that have that have that have opened up. You know, like I'm thinking Blanca, which is you know right here at Roberta's. That's a very different style, but it's still providing that kind of service and that kind of um, very high end food and dining experience. Um, I mean, have they has per se kind of become less relevant? I, I, I guess that comes down to who's defining what's relevant and who's sure, and, and what's sure. not relevant. Do I think they have? No, I don't. Um, am I a fan of that experience? Obviously, I've mm-hmm. you know committed ten years of my life to working in two very fine dining establishments. Um, th- that's what I love. You know, I have you know I had the opportunity to run two Bouchon bakeries. Um, certainly at Jean George, I was way more thrilled to be in the main dining room than I was in Nougatine. Not that I didn't love Nougatine, but I I am very drawn and I believe in that style of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I don't think they've lost relevance. Do I think consumer? behavior may be changing possibly but it changes every week mm-hmm. um and so you know i, I don't I, I know the people there and i'm i'm obviously close with all of them and never once do i think that they rest on on their laurels mm-hmm. um i think in today's today's environment like people need to see massive shifts in evolution and take that as um relevant change um versus 
you know, steady incremental growth. And people, I think there's just a stronger value on like a massive shift, the quarterly menu change or the overhaul of the experience. Um, I think today, I think people that talk about food are just more drawn to that. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think what I, w- what I w- will add to that is that why can't the standard, the standard like classic service that, that they do right every time that doesn't change, like why can't that be just as good as, as like a change in the menu or a complete overhaul? I, I, I think that it can. I mean, I think that's what, I think that's what the experience of per se is all about. It's mm-hmm. about getting better every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you may not appreciate in that or what some people may not appreciate that is that there isn't one moment of a new story. You know, it is just a better, a continual growth and evolution. Um, so you don't get the big hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I believe in what they do. And I don't think, I personally think, you know, in the last decade, there hasn't been a restaurant that's had as big of an impact in New York City. Um, And certainly there hasn't, you know, Chef Keller has had one of the largest impacts on the industry, not just for America, but for the entire world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't think this in any way diminishes his legacy or diminishes the restaurant legacy. Um, And certainly restaurant professionals uh, in their opinion field have, have commented on, on their love or their hurt by mm-hmm. this. And I think that emotional outcry really speaks to the connectedness that restaurant has had on people, mm-hmm. right? Positive and negative. I, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. I'm excited to see what happens next for them. Yeah, me so. too. Um, so Anthony, how do we sign up to be a member at journey? Let's go right online. So, um, it is restaurant professionals only and those that serve the restaurant industry. So, uh, it's clearly not for hobbyists. There's a lot out there for you. Um, it, you need to be connected to it. So farmers, purveyors, we have hospitality attorneys that specifically focus on hospitality law or like a license, they're members. Um, but the core of it is really the restaurant professional working day to day in a restaurant. Um, and it's a really easy process. You go right online. There's an apply section. It takes you to our membership platform. It literally takes two minutes to fill out an application. And then we review it. And then you get a, you get a thing. It's super simple. Amazing. Well, I'm going to sign up. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break here on the morning after. We'll come back with the quiz for Anthony. Fun. Break music has been provided by Taxstar. This is the morning after. We'll be right back.
we're back here on the morning after. We've been speaking with Anthony Rudolph of Journey. It's time for the morning after quiz. All right, Anthony, you know all about your company, Journey, but what do you know about the rock anthem band, Journey? All right, it's multiple choice, three questions, Mm -hmm. and none of them are about Don't Stop Believing. Okay, so sorry about that. All right, first question. Journey the Band was formed in 1973 by former members of what other band? Is it A, the Allman Brothers Band? Is it B, REO Speedwagon? Or C, Santana? I'm going to go with B, REO Speedwagon. B, REO Speedwagon. No. It's Ooh, Santana. I know that. That's my gut. <laughs> go with your gut, man. That's, that's the multiple choice. They don't even jive. <laughs> I know. That's what's very strange, right? It, I, I have no idea. I mean, I think it just has to do with with music evolution. You know, You're like rebelling just against changing. Carlos Santana. Yeah, there there were no Spanish guitars. There were no Spanish journey. Hits. No, not at all. <laughs> not even the same flavor. No, not at all. Well, okay. I'm sure they were probably like they wanted to have their own band instead of just being like Santana's like yeah. you know guys. All right. So question two: Which of these is not an album by Journey? And by the way, I would never have been able to name one. And so I don't blame you if you don't know any. Um, A, forever. B, infinity. C, next. Really deep names, too. I'm going to stick with going in the middle. B, infinity. B, infinity. No, it's actually forever. Forever Uh, is not the name of a journey album. I thought was certain. (laughs) Well, I mean, like forever, infinity, next. Like, next? Like, Like, could not think of anything. So they were just like... This is the next album, so we'll just call it next. You know, with vocals like he has, who cares about the, the name of the album? <laughs> Amazing. Exactly. Like, I don't care at all. Um, so, final question. I'm really gunning for you this time. Come on, <laughs> let's get one. Let's get one, Anthony. All right. Journey has chosen a sacred ancient Egyptian symbol as their logo. What is it? Phoenix. <laughs> no, okay. Not not an option. Um, is it A, the jackal? Is it B, the bird with a human head? Yes. Or is it C, the dung beetle? Uh, this, I'm going to go with B again. I'm going to stay consistent because it's got wings. The, the album has wings on it, if I remember correctly. So we're going to go with the bird with the human head. Bird with the human head, no. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm going to go back to Phoenix. <laughs> phoenix well that's kind of a bird but with a bird head um it's actually the dung beetle it's called a a scarab beetle um i have no idea how is that possible It, it makes no sense but um the apparently like the the image of the beetle pushing the poo into a ball is like uh the idea of the sun rotating around the earth you that's lost me. What, yeah, that's what that hieroglyphic kind of means. They should um, switch it to Guy Fieri and donk- donkey sauce. <laughs> donkey sauce. I agree. I mean, the beetle makes no sense. They're yeah. not the Beatles. Like, why would you put a beetle on your cover? Anyway. Anthony, thank you for flop. being a, a good sport. Obviously, there's, you know, there's no way you could have prepared for this unless you actually, you know, were inside of my brain and you were like, journey, journey. Or just Boom. a massive journey fan. Or a massive journey fan. But I don't even think a massive journey fan. They might get the album one, right? Mm. And the Santana one. But there's no way that... Dun- well, actually, maybe they would have got the Dung Beetle, too. I'm going to have to study more. All right. Well, 
Thank you so we'll much for class. We'll do a class. We'll do a on class Journey on band. Journey the Band. Yes. You can co-teach. Amazing. I'll I'll pair some wines to Journey songs. How's that? Cool. All right. Thank you so much, Anthony Rudolph of Journey, for being on the morning after. Thank we'll you. see you or talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.